Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to Perpetual Traffic. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is where we share cutting-edge strategies for VPs of marketing, directors of marketing, heads of business like yourself to get more leads and sales for your business to ultimately achieve your vision. I am standing in front of the main hall here at Traffic and Conversion Summit in beautiful but not-so-warm, really, really cold Las Vegas. We're not going to be doing a summary episode here today. That is for next week's show. But we are pulling five of what I think are the most important episodes that we've done in the last three to six months. And we're going to be giving you the snippets of each one of those episodes for this week's show. So all the links to the actual shows themselves will be over at perpetualtraffic.com. And if you don't subscribe to our YouTube channel, make sure that you do hit up perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube just to give you a little sense as to what we're going to be talking about here today. Kasim and I talk about how AI is affecting content marketing strategies. And spoiler alert, content marketing is actually how Tier 11 and Solutions 8 actually grow their business. So even though we're paid traffic guys. So we reveal a lot of the strategies that we're now using in an AI-inspired world in that episode, in that nugget. Then we get into uh, how to scale and grow your Amazon store. There's about four or five different things in there that Jamie Davidson talks about that you absolutely should listen to. And then click on the link in the show notes to make sure that you download the entire episode. Met a lot of Amazon sellers here the last couple of days here at Traffic and Conversion Summit. And a lot of them don't know these tips. So make sure you listen to that. And then we brought Molly Pittman back on, which Cosmo will be extremely excited about. Very, very jealous that she was the original co-host. Now he's just the second or third, but it's always good to rub that in his face or rub that in his long, beautiful, black, long locks. But she talks about some of the things that I think if you are a tier 11 employee, you better be listening to this because she's dropping serious knowledge bombs about content first pages, carousel ads, using pre-sale pages, super simple stuff, especially in the supplement niche, which is obviously highly competitive. But she's figured that stuff out. And last but not least, we go through the revelation that is meta threads. And I don't know if you realize this or not. I didn't realize this, but threads actually grew faster than any other online platform still to this day. They got a million users within one hour. ChatGPT got a million users within a week, and that's second place. So threads is certainly something that you cannot ignore. And yes, Meta does do a hell of a lot of copycatting for all the best stuff for other platforms, but uh, you definitely want to listen to that episode as well. So all the links are going to be in the show notes here at perpetualtraffic.com, full episodes. Make sure that you do follow us and subscribe wherever you list the podcast. And if you want to traffic a conversion summit, Hopefully I had a great time. We'll be talking about that 
in next week's show. So without further ado, let's get to the five nuggets, things that you should be doing in 2024 to scale your business coming up next. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. We are talking about the future of AI and how it's going to affect you as a marketer, especially with regard to Google ads. But Kasim, it seems to me that we won't really know what the monetization model of this is until it appears. And then when it actually does appear, then it's going to change and it's going to iterate and it's going to get better and better and better, probably, we think, for the user experience, hopefully. Otherwise, Google will become irrelevant, right? And they'll lose all market share over to Bing, which is probably happening for a lot of the smart marketers that are sort of on the leading edge right now for AI. But like, how does this change how you market today and the content you create today? Even though we are paid traffic guys at the end of the day, we don't operate content marketing companies, but how we market our companies is through content marketing. Like I use HubSpot. Every, you know, like we use all of that inbound strategy, even for our outbound BDR stuff. And we're trying to create highly relevant, very specific, helpful, informative, useful information, very detailed. Is that just it? Is that the key to sort of laying the foundation for what we think is coming and that sets you up for success? Or is it something more than that? It's that and. So what I'll tell you is, and I love that you already marked on this, Ralph, think about the epic layers of hypocrisy. You and I are just soaking in tubs of hypocrisy because we're technically paid ad guys. And yet, dude, I'd say 90% of my time and marketing energy goes towards organic content creation. I write a Twitter thread every day. I do an Instagram reel every day. I do a YouTube video every day. I'm doing LinkedIn posts, fake posts, blogs, perpetual traffic episodes. My marketing is content geared because this is 
what works. This is the way. And when I pay, I'm not paying to get you to come hire Solutions 8. I'm paying for you to look at my content. And that's an interesting paradigm shift. You have to think to yourself like, man, is my content good enough that I'd pay for somebody to come see it? And that's where we are. So That's our dirty little secret on this show, by the way. Not to interrupt, but I guess I just did. That is the dirty little secret that we have been talking about for some time. Yes, advertising. Advertising might get that last mile. You need your brand search. You need all these other things. But the stuff that you and I are paying, even paying money on, and I know you're paying a lot of money for a lot of your paid ads, is pure content. Top, top pre-engagement funnel stuff. I got a massive brand the other day, a massive brand that everybody's heard of. I wish I could give them away because I'm just so happy. They're YouTube fans. They've been watching my YouTube videos for about a year and a half. And the director of marketing finally converted. And that's one example of many So here's what's really funny too. There's that funny meme that talks about climate change. And it's one guy talking to the other. I forget exactly how it goes, but it's like, what if we clean the earth and do all of this work and then find out that global warming wasn't a problem and we've done all this good work for nothing? Regardless of how you feel about that, I'm not trying to be politically charged, but that's how I feel about content. You can't go wrong creating content. So it's like, well, Kasim, what if I create all this amazing content for my business and then it doesn't help the generative AI experience? In my mind, I'm like, no matter what, this is going to serve you in some way and in many ways. There's so many areas where this comes up in my business. My sales guy is sharing links and people stumbling across it and existing customers having an easier way to refer us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So creating really deep, really robust content is number one. Number two, and maybe the more tactical, more specific step to take, start using the AI-driven tools inside the advertising platforms now. And this, by the way, I need to take a dose of my own medicine because Google comes to me and says, you know, oh, final URL expansion, we'll choose the URLs for you. And dynamic ad creation, we'll create the ads for you. We'll choose the products for you. And I'm always like, nope, I know how to do this better than you do. And that, by the way, might be true in the short term. So my campaigns perform a little bit better because I can maintain manual control. However, if you don't test them at all, you don't know how they work. And these AI-driven tools already exist inside of Google, already exist inside of Facebook. And at a minimum, you need to start allowing them to play with your products, your services, your content, your site, your media. So A, you can learn it. And B, even more interesting, it can learn you because it's a neural network and that's exactly what it's doing. And whoever Google learns first and better, it's going to deliver more. Facebook too. They're going to learn, oh, this is how I sell Ralph's stuff. Cool. So you're paying a machine to learn, opt in to the AI-driven marketing tools. And you don't need to go all in. It doesn't have to be 100% of your budget. And you don't need to be first. I love that saying, Ralph. We learned it on this podcast. It's pioneers get slaughtered, settlers prosper. But you need to keep up with traffic, basically. Don't be so far behind the crowd that when everything shifts, you're nowhere to be seen. Invest in high-quality content. Use the AI tools for ad delivery. And then let's all sit back and see what happens because like you said earlier, nobody knows. I think the listeners now, viewers of the show are wondering, is it written content? Is it video content? How do I stay relevant with all this? You and I are very video heavy right now, but is AI going to favor written content? In a lot of ways, like a lot of the things that we've seen so far through some of the models and through some of the initial betas of how search will work, seems like a lot of it is written. When there is a video element to it, is it just do it all and continue on that path? Or is it focus on one or the other or top level, broad level keyword stuff? 
let me just give you an example. Like five ways in which your PPC ad spend is being wasted right now is a phrase that we are trying to rank for. And we created a podcast for it, a blog post. We created multiple videos, everything that supports it, because we know that our ideal customer is searching for that phrase. But PPC marketing isn't something that I'm even trying to rank for or trying to get any traffic for. And I feel like the AI models, I'm never going to get there anyway. So why even try? I want to go into the really, really deep things that my ICP is ultimately looking for and that we can help them, guide them to make the right decision, which then leads to a transactional search or maybe a form fill at a later date. That's how I think about it. My focus is not super high level, not even mid-level. It's more granular and then almost PLG-focused, product-led growth-focused if they're looking for specific things about the product or service. So it's way, way, way at the bottom. Is that the right way of thinking about it? Is that how you think Dude, about I it? I think you just nailed it. I wouldn't say all the way at the bottom, but let's use my mini house example. If you're creating content right now and you're an attorney who does zoning, Right now, you're doing you know, how to rezone, why it's important to rezone, steps to rezone. Here's the thing. All that takes place in the chat, at the top of the chat, before we even get to you. You're irrelevant for that crap. What the attorney should be doing is specific steps to rezone your property for a tiny house in Scottsdale, Arizona. And to further answer your question, the attorney shoots a video, long form video, pulls the transcript from that video that becomes a blog, pulls the snippets from that transcript that becomes a LinkedIn post, a Facebook post, and Twitter thread, slices up the video to become reels and TikToks and shorts and whatever. And that one video, as long as this is systemized, in about an hour's worth of EA's work became everything. The whole like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by content creation and do I have to do everything? There's no such thing as everything anymore. Shoot one video, write one blog, do one, whatever it is your comfort zone aligns with, and then that one thing can become everything with the right systems. That video gets turned into a podcast episode too. And then it gets you know sliced and diced. And you don't have to do all that work. Don't allow yourself to use that as an excuse. Create one solid piece of pillar content in whatever medium you're most comfortable in. And then that piece of content can be repurposed into every other type of content by a very cost-effective resource that's going to become more cost-effective because AI can do all of this or most of it. So it just needs a little bit of shepherding. So when I said an hour, that was actually pre-AI. I bet you it turns into like 15 minutes once all the AI mechanisms have really been integrated into your system. And what that does is it Once it's gives- really dialed in. Yeah, for sure. Yes. But that attorney that made that content just won in this particular search that we're talking about. So you've nailed it on a couple of levels. Dive deeper in the topics that you're creating content about. You know, the five reasons not to X. That's all gone, man. None of us are getting any of that traffic. That's the AI's traffic. That's the chat. But once you get really specific, which by the way is where you and I make our money, and not just you and me, it's you, me, and everybody else. Nobody pays for generalities. Nobody pays for a mechanic to tell them that their car is a car. They pay for an oil change. And so the AI is going to take care of the broader conversation. And then it's going to get you down to, oh man, for a late model vehicle like that and those issues, you're probably going to want to make sure that you go to a mechanic with this certification. Here's who you should be going to. Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, his ad if he's smart enough, (laughs) will show up in that part of the actual generative AI search. I don't think it fundamentally changes a whole lot in my mind as far as how I think about it, but it still comes back to just being highly relevant and useful 
But I think it's now it's a little bit more intentional because we don't know where all this is going to go. But I think the days of just producing massive amounts of just broad keyword search content and getting results from that, I think a lot of people, a lot of big businesses that rely on that, maybe just for traffic, that is going to be a very large change that comes because that will no longer become traffic. And we're already starting to see informational searches for sites that are in essence, Q&A sites like data aggregators. You're seeing this in the software niche and the dev niche. Traffic amounts dropping off because a lot of the answers that are being generated in those forums or Q&A websites are now being answered by ChatGPT or through other searches that are starting to invade the market. So I think at very, very top level, if you're reliant upon that for your content marketing or for a lot of your traffic to your site, that will fundamentally shift, I think, over time with this model. And I think that is a big, big change. I could not agree with you more. Sometimes people start on Shopify and they're like, hey, I've been selling on Shopify for five, 10 years. I should probably start doing this Amazon thing. It's interesting. People that do one or the other, they tend not to be maybe even intimidated by the different platform. But if you're starting with Amazon, I would recommend don't be in a rush to the other platforms until you really get good at it. In the past, like with our coaching, with our AMZ Insiders program, we would teach people to analyze all the foreign markets because there's tools to understand if your product sells well in Germany, in the UK, Japan, because you can quickly expand to those markets. Now, what I tell people is do that research and understand if there's an opportunity there, but you don't even have to do that. If your goal is to build it, to sell it, then let the bigger investor or the next guy explain that opportunity to them that, hey, I've done the market research. So now, same thing with Shopify. Hey, if there's other markets and kind of runway and you want to build this business, let's say you want to build it from zero to 2 million in sales. And typically, Amazon, you're talking like a 20% margin, maybe 25% margin. So, you know, 2 million, that would be what, 400,000. Bottom line, like you're selling that business maybe for, let's say, call it a million and a half dollars, 1.5. The multiples aren't crazy on Amazon, but they're like maybe four up to six times your earnings. Dude, that's what you get for an agency. I mean, six times, that's not bad. Yeah, and six isn't easy. There's some other components that you want to have with it, like how well the business is structured. You have SOPs. What's your product finding method? You know, it's something we help you with. But if your goal is to do that, I would keep it simple. Don't try to launch on other platforms. Don't launch internationally. Just prove that you can sell your product and you have a repeatable process to launch new products and you can do really well. What I have found from years of helping people, because we've been coaching and helping people since 2017, is that most people that are good at getting the business from zero to, we'll call it 2 million or zero to a million. They're not necessarily have the same skill sets to grow it to, to eight figures or to grow it to, and this applies to other industries. I'm sure you guys have seen it or costing with a good, it's like the group that can take the business from there to 50 million typically is not the same group and you need to hand it off. We were a little bit different, my team, because we, we had a background that came from kind of those bigger companies and the kind of the IT horsepower we had on the team to scale. But Typically, you're better off staying in your lane of what you're good at and then exiting and then repeating that process versus trying to do it all. That's just good advice for business in general. <laughs> no, I mean, those aren't bad multiples. I mean, especially at 200K and EBITDA. When you first started, or you were doing iPad cases. And man, you can become irrelevant quickly because as soon as people start seeing you having success and then they come out with a product 
So it's almost like you have to have this inherent sense of paranoia. Like I've got to constantly be adding features, constantly be figuring out ways to like outsmart the competition, which maybe hasn't even appeared on Amazon yet. And Amazon sellers that I've known that have gone that route, especially in the cell phone case world, is like, hey, we got this product. It's going great. And then they think they've got a business. And all of a sudden, somebody undercuts them by five cents. And then they're basically out of business. So it's like, how do you... And I mean, I guess only the paranoids survive <laughs> to a certain degree. How do you counter that in such a cutthroat, like price competitive space? Or maybe I'm just oversimplifying it. But like, what was your strategy to stay ahead, especially in a market like that, where it's so hyper competitive? Yeah, the two most competitive spaces on Amazon are cell phone accessories and supplements. We don't sell supplements, but supplements because of the consumable nature. People can subscribe to them and keep ordering. And we're a little different because this, every time a new product would come out, a new iPhone or a new Galaxy, et cetera, then there's a whole new product launch. But I mean, we're talking about those type of dollars. The intensity is real all the way back into China in terms of the actual design of a phone. To get the actual copy of a phone, we might pay $80,000 to get the iPhone, to get an actual iPhone for eight hours. We pay $80,000 because when we launch our product, the day it launches, we need this thing to be perfect. It can't know the dimensions, how it's working, any new features. We can't wait a month to design that product after it comes out. There is that level of intensity that was out there. We've met with Amazon and told them in the past that if we followed all your rules initially, we wouldn't have had a business because the competitive nature of it was so aggressive that we had to like really push the lines. And so Amazon, of course, try to work to make it so you don't have to do that. And the good thing is you don't have to do it as much now, but it's still competitive. So the answer to your question, one is if you're going to go to those spaces, the ones I mentioned, you're probably going to need more capital. And if you're going to come up with something different, you're probably going to need some legal protection too. So ideally, you're probably going to want some patent protection to really compete. If I want to sell massage guns, which some of those do 30 million a year for one massage gun, I think the top seller does. But the other thing is that's like in the most competitive high end. So in some cases, my example of us isn't the best example. There's so many opportunities out there that aren't super hyper-competitive. They're not super sexy and attractive to everyone where you can find nice niches where it's not nearly as cutthroat. Same principles apply. You have to keep reinventing yourself, but you can survive and build a nice little brand in those spaces. So yeah, you want to typically avoid the ultra-competitive categories unless you have something really unique to bring to the market. And if you're starting there, where's the best place to at least get a foothold? Maybe you don't want to go into that red ocean of cell phone cases or iPad cases, but what would be the best way? Is it a chat GPT research endeavor, kind of like what we talked about to start the show? Or is there something else? Like where do you kind of begin? And then especially now with the competition that's out there and Amazon being such a beast. Yeah. It always comes back to this topic, the product, and then how do you rank the product, right? That's what this thing is about. And then how do you run your business? But so yeah, we just did a three-day product challenge with a thousand people that were all just honing in on this one topic. The short answer is there is a bit of an art and a science, right? Sometimes I've met people that we've done some real analysis and all the tools and the tools are good because they've got good data out of the Amazon API. We've analyzed something and then that person goes, ask their wife like, hey, honey, what do you think is a good idea out there? And she comes up with an idea, knotted blankets. And we run it through our model. We're like, oh, this is better than the five things we identified. There is this combination of kind of seeing trends out there. There's some other sites like Pinterest and some other cool things out there that you can use in terms of getting trends. We like to take data from things away from Amazon, TikTok, even Alibaba, the site where you can buy products, see what the trends are there, trends.com, and see if you can tie it back to a product. The thing with Amazon, you don't want to 
Make sure it's not a short trend because of a celebrity. You want to have something there. Good Amazon tools to help use it. Again, this chat GPT stuff is real. I like stuff that you can actually really implement and actually get real feedback and opportunity. And again, look to make some slight modifications with the manufacturer or with a product design team to help. You don't have to be crazy, but you got to have something that like, hey, this is going to be positioned a little bit differently. So you're going to have some staying power. And if you do that, you know, you get your brand trademarked. There's a lot of really successful people doing this. It's just treat it like the real business and the real brand it is. I think that's some of the Amazon sellers that I've met in the past. I don't think they really treated it like a business. And I think that's a really important part. I was like, ah, this is my side gig or I caught this hot trend and that's it. I'm done. Um, now I'm going to be set for life, which is never really the case on Amazon because everything's always changing. So it's a combination of understanding what's hot in the market as well as where you can find those individual niches and make product improvements that are just slightly better than the competition. Obviously, using tools like ChatGPT are pretty effective in assisting with that. Yeah, exactly, Ralph. The last thing to your point there, the reason why it's harder to do this in Amazon is because let's say you take like the fidget spinner. If you guys, anyone remembers that back in 2015 and kids are buying it for like 30, 40 bucks and they cost, I don't know, 30 cents for the manufacturers to make. If a trend in the digital world ends, you can stop it and pivot pretty quick. But if you keep placing bigger bets and you have, in the physical world, you have inventory. You're sitting on a million dollars of inventory and the price of that drops, Right. That's what happens if people try to play those games a little bit too much. You get caught and they get stuck with this inventory or if the practices no longer work, their techniques. And so, yeah, that's why a lot of those people disappear because it is that image talk a lot about that aspect, but managing how much you buy and making sure you're not out of stock, all that stuff is really important to be successful in the space as well. We have a client called Array, A-R-R-A-E. They're awesome. Everybody should check them out. I have, I think, a great episode on the Smart Marketer podcast with their founder, Nish. Their story is incredible. They started their business in 2020. They're already doing very well. We have certain NDAs. So now I say things like doing very well, but um, they've grown Doing quickly. very well means making lots of money. Yeah. They, <laughs> They're very successful. <laughs> You can go back and listen to that episode if you guys are interested, but it's just so cool to hear their journey. Started the business in 2020. Nish was running ads on his own. He went through Train My Traffic Person, our course, figured it out, got the account up to like $1,000 a day, handed it over to Pep before we had the agency last January. Pep was able to get it up to like 5,000-ish in spend a day handed it over to the agency. Now we're up to 15K plus a day. So a nice little trajectory for an e-com business that's just getting started. They sell supplements that help with bloat, sleeping, a lot of things to do with your gut health. They're really good with influencers, really good with branding. If you check them out, we also do their email marketing. They do all the things that you wish a client would do, right? Great creatives. They get it. They know their avatar. So they've got a lot going for them. And something that we launched recently, so this is a little education around pre-sale articles, which we also call advertorials. Advertorials have been around for literally hundreds of years. I think it's funny when people are like, pre-sale articles don't work. It's like, no, guys, this is a form of advertising. This is not strictly on the internet. Right? <laughs> this is something that's been around a long time that will always work, which is essentially the idea, whether it's on video, audio, or written that you're going to educate and or entertain, give a little bit of value first and lead someone to want to purchase. 
And we know that these types of authors are really important, especially for scalability, right? There are only so many people in the world right now that we can run ads, what we call butter chicken style, direct to product page and say, hey, do you want to buy this? There are just only going to be so many people that are ready to make that purchase right in this moment. Of course, there's scalability there in terms of avatars, other hooks, the ways in which you position it. You can get really far with what we call butter chicken, but you can only get so far, right? We want to be able to reach the parts of this market that are a little more cool, that are even very cold, that might not even know that they are dealing with bloating, but we are able to lead them back to wanting to purchase the product. So this is a fun little case study. This is something that Nish also, there's a good lesson here. He worked on this for a while. Nish was in our mastermind before he was an agency client. And this pre-sale article, this is probably the 15th iteration of this, right? So another little reminder here, guys, just because you write a pre-sale article or just because you record a video doesn't make it good, doesn't mean it's going to work. It's actually putting it out there and then continuing to optimize it until it gets to the place where you want it to be. So this was not perfect out of the gate. This took a lot of time. This pre-sale article is really simple. Top five reasons you're bloated. This ended up being the best pre-sale article after testing many, many. And again, we're on iteration like 15 here. The top, and I'm going to go ahead and show my screen just so you can see it. This is just this one little campaign that we ran, but we use this offer in many other ways. Obviously, the goal is sale of physical product through a pre-sale article, top five reasons you're bloated. This particular campaign generated a little bit over a thousand new customers. So the headline, look you all at how short and simple this is. And if you're just listening, I'm going to quickly read it to you or describe it to you. This is very important with pre-sale articles nowadays. The headline is obvious. There's not much to it. Top five reasons you're bloated. The six bulleted list below only one or two sentences describing whatever the headline is there in each of these bullets. That's really important. People write pre-sale articles and they're way too long. They're way too detailed. It's 2023, y'all. People are rash. They want to consume stuff now and they want to know it quickly, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to read a bunch of copy. We've got the headline, number one, eating too quickly. And then below, we only have two or three sentences that explain to them exactly what this means. We're actually giving them content here, you all, that's eye-opening. We're not just like, you're bloated because you ate pizza. That would be writing a pre-sale article to write a pre-sale article. We are trying to give them information in a way or information that they haven't thought of before, right? This is counterintuitive. This is curiosity. This gets them bought in because they're like, ooh, I didn't know that about myself. That's why this works. So eating too quickly, slow gut motility, food intolerances, which is basically the pizza part too much sugar, overgrowth of bacteria, six, bonus, what to do when you're bloated. And guess what that is? Buy our stuff, right? Mm, beautiful. <laughs> really high converting pre-sale article, you guys. Probably one of the highest that I've ever seen, honestly. And look how simple this is. Pre-sale articles have changed, not in whether they work or not, but just the simplicity required, you know, with Boom by Cindy Joseph, Ezra's makeup brand, we do run all of the meta ads for that brand now. 
And a lot of what we're doing with pre-sale articles is just simplifying them. The simpler, the more to the point, the more curiosity-based, the more you can teach them something that they didn't know, the more trust that's built, the more desire that is built to actually purchase the product because now they have a reason to buy that they didn't have before. This person probably wasn't going to buy just because they're bloated. But now they're going to buy because they have realized that their bloating is actually a function of something that they didn't even know was going on in their gut that now needs to be solved with this magic pill, (laughs) which does work. This is the offer. Of course, pre-sales are not for everybody. This is definitely an offer type that we go to at about $5,000 a day in spend for any brand, whether you're info, SaaS, e-com, doesn't matter. This is an offer type that just works because it's a way to go out to a market that is not so ready to buy. The offer here is top five reasons you're bloated. The targeting, we're going old school. About 90% of our targeting in meta right now is interest-based. We still do all of the old school interest research that I used to teach here on the show and we're doing more of it than we ever have. Lookalikes are still working for us a bit in some accounts, depending on the history of the account, the amount of data that they have. I don't know if you're finding this, Ralph, but we're actually finding that we need to leave lookalike ad sets on much longer. So if we leave them on 10 to 14 days, for example, sometimes they'll come back around and actually be our best performing ad set. But if we're making decisions three to five days in, lookalikes just typically for us are not the way to go. Now, old school interest space, we're still rocking it. Almost this entire campaign, other than one ad set, absolutely interest space. And the way that we think about it for Array is, at least for this offer, where are people going to try to solve the problem of bloating that isn't us? Things like probiotics, things like sugar substitute, brands like the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, where they might be going for information. Mm -hmm. Kombucha is something that people really go to to try to settle their belly and really get that bloat down. These are all interests that we use for Array. Now, of course, we use avatar-based targeting for them too. Who is buying? We have many different types of people that buy Array's product. Of course, we have extensive interest targeting research for each of those. But when we're looking at just discussing the topic of bloating, this is the type of interest targeting that we used in this particular campaign. And then the best ad for this campaign, it's been running about a year now, we still can't beat it, is actually an old school looking carousel ad. And this is something any of you can use, even if it's not a pre-sale article, but if you are giving some sort of education on the landing page. It's really simple. The first card of this pre-sale is, these are the top five reasons why you're bloated. The next card gives them tip one in full. The next card gives them tip two in full. And then the next one is, hey, you want to learn the other reasons? Click here. So that's what we would call Mm. an open loop. (laughs) Yes. These are our best performing ad types when we are leading to a page with any sort of content. Give a little bit of the content, leave an open loop there. Really hard for them not to want to click forward. And then in terms of campaign structure, Ralph, I'm sure you're finding something similar, but our campaign structure is gone back to very old school as a response to iOS updates, as a response of just the way that Facebook has been functioning recently. 
Almost everything we're doing is back to ABO. So of course, even though this is a pre-sale article, we're still optimizing for conversions, still optimizing for purchases. Because this account had some history, because we knew that this offer was most likely going to work, we started ABO, $150 a day, 84 ad sets in this campaign. I thought this would make you smile, Ralph, because <laughs> this is teetering back to the, the Michigan method. <laughs> yeah, old school indeed. It is, but this is what, at least for our agency, is allowing us the control to be able to figure out not only what's working, but to give Facebook more of a smaller sandbox to play in. And not that some of these ad sets are completely open targeting or broad targeting, whatever you want to call it. It's not that we still don't do that. It's just by going back to ABO and by having all of these different ad sets, not only is it easier for us to manage, it seems easier for Facebook to understand, but it's also what we're finding the best way to scale. Vertical scaling the last year or two for us has been tough unless you're just barely inching that budget up. As you know, our most favorite way to scale is horizontally. Great. We have something that's working. Let's launch many different ad sets to many different types of interest and targeting options so that we can get more, more juice out of the lemon. But only four ads. We're not as old school to the number of ads that we used to be. Really, our goal, three to five ads in an ad set is our sweet spot right now doesn't seem like Facebook can digest many more than that anyway. So if you're launching with more than five or six ads, the other three to five ads that you're including in the ad set probably aren't going to get any juice at all. So you might have wasted your time. (laughs) In that case, if you have more creative that you want to test, we just put those in isolation so that we can actually get them some reach. But right now, best practice for us, about three to five ads in an ad set And I think this one that this was something I presented at Social Media World, this one generated over a thousand new customers in a few days for Array, which they were obviously pretty pumped about. And it mostly just gives us an offer that allows us to scale out of people that are just so focused on wanting to buy a bloat supplement today. The MetaThreads app reached 100 million users in just five days, becoming one of the fastest growing apps in history. And it actually got more users than ChatGPT in a shorter amount of time, which is absolutely incredible. The part to it that I think is mind-boggling is that Facebook and Meta didn't really do a whole lot to promote it, aside from just sort of tell people that it was out there. I thought it was brilliant the way they did that, though. It was a perfect, seamless segue from app to app. If you have a Facebook login or a Meta login, an Instagram login, your Threads profile was basically pre-created. And I don't think I've ever seen that done as well as they did it, which is why they got so many users so quickly. They just took all of their users and they pushed it into this little conduit. And I mean, you want to talk about low barrier to entry, low friction. This was an absolute masterclass phenomenally well executed. Incredible. Now, if you have not downloaded it yet, I would highly encourage you to download it just to see what we're talking about here. It all of a sudden... Well, it's a full-on Twitter ripoff. Oh, it's a total Twitter ripoff. Now, there's some pros and cons here, obviously, which we'll talk about, but... I think the pro is it's not Twitter. Is it's not Twitter. But I'm saying like the experience, if you want a friction-free experience of how to download an app, like we all go to the app store and we download apps, the Artifact app, obviously, we'll leave links in the show notes to that. It's right on your phone. All you have to do is just go to the app store, whichever device you have. The point is, is like how Threads 
pulled your data from really Instagram. I mean, Meta did this. Instagram is a Meta property. And that whole experience, I did it while I was sitting in a coffee shop in Burlington, Vermont this past week. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe how quickly I got on it. And all of a sudden, here I am. And all my followers and all the people I follow segued over as long as they'd already signed up. And if they hadn't signed up, I'm prompted to invite them, which is, uh, again, brilliant. The whole experience, like if you're either an app company listening to this or you are just a regular business that onboards brand new customers, like I know Instagram obviously has billions of users and they've got sort of an advantage there to sort of be able to pull things over. But I think just the experience itself from a business perspective, was mind-bogglingly easy. And now I'm on the app. And now I'm getting notifications for all the people that are now getting on it. Obviously, with 100 million downloads of the thing in five days, without Meta really pushing it, aside from, we got an email from our partner manager last week. That's the first that I had actually heard about it. And literally five days later, it's 100 million downloads. So Pretty crazy. Now, you're a bigger Twitter user than I am. I'm a big fan of Twitter. I'd still recommend people not sleep on Twitter. They made some UI improvements over Twitter. Like if I open up my Threads app right now, it's a cleaner visual. I'd say it's a 20% cleaner visual. And, And what I mean by that is Twitter feels messy, especially looking at the mobile. There's just a lot going on between the avatar image, name, verification badge, your slug line, all the little icons happening underneath. And then you open up threads and compare it. It's like somebody went in and just cleaned up Twitter. It's like Twitter had a CRO expert spend a day fixing things. They also allowed for more functionality. And it's funny too, it's just such a petulant move. Twitter has a two minute limit on videos. Threads has a five minute limit on videos. And Twitter has, you know, whatever its character limitation is, Threads is just a little bit longer. And it's built to be a quote unquote Twitter killer. And the thing that I think is really interesting is a lot of the people that I follow that are most active on Twitter have really, I mean, I'm looking at Hormozzi's posts right now. I don't know how or why, but they're taking to Threads quickly which are their first movers. I guess that doesn't mean much. It still needs to kind of reach critical mass from a usage perspective. I know it's reached critical mass from a user perspective, but there's a big difference between getting somebody to sign up for something and then getting somebody to use it. However, Twitter's proven the need for short form content. So then the question becomes, is the continuity that's allowed between threads and Instagram enough to get people to move from Twitter to threads, which would be value proposition number one, And value proposition number two is there are so many people that hate Elon Musk and dislike what he's doing with Twitter and how he's doing with Twitter. Now, I'll say, and I don't mind whatever ire I stoke, I'm a huge Elon fan. I think he's brilliant. I think he's done five impossible things. I think he's our generation's Edison. And I actually think Edison was something of a charlatan. But just in terms of the role that he's fulfilling, I realize that he's divisive and he says some stupid stuff. But I'm a big fan of him and I'm a fan of what he did with Twitter. He brought back Jordan Peterson. He stopped with a lot of the censorship. He's got a weird stance on the anonymous posting thing that I don't necessarily agree with. All that to say, there's a ton of people that can't stand the dude. And if all you get is Twitter without Elon, dude, that could be enough to push enough people in this direction. And I don't know if you remember, Ralph, WordPress versus Joomla. Yeah. Does that sound familiar to you? Sure. Dude, Joomla was a better application. Joomla was a content management system for anybody listening who's just not old enough or doesn't remember. WordPress wasn't the gold standard at all. WordPress was a blogging platform. There was a content management system out there called Joomla that was better, stronger, faster, more robust, far less likely to get hacked. It was a better website. 
WordPress reached critical mass. All the developers started coding plugins for WordPress. And then suddenly Joomla, you've never heard of it. I don't even know if it's still around. I'm going to go look it up. Things like this require that tipping point. And if threads can reach that tipping point, I could see it moving Twitter into a more obscure corner of the internet, kind of being its own little Reddit. I don't think Twitter ever dies, but maybe it no longer becomes the watering hole for the world. Anyway, that's my weird little prognosticative soliloquy. The question is, is the user experience going to keep people there? Is it going to continue to grow? I think there's now there's some momentum that's being gained with this 100 million downloads, faster adoption than ChatGPT. That's pretty incredible. Do people stick? Do people stay? And according to similar web, like Twitter traffic is now down 5% since this thing launched. And as of this past weekend, like it's down 11%, same time from last year in 2022. So there are significant inroads that are being made. Like Threads is making its mark on Twitter. We tend to denigrate the big companies that we rely on so heavily, Meta and Google. And I think, especially on this podcast, because we're going to tell it like it is, and we know that there's people from Meta that do listen to this podcast. I think Zuckerberg did a crappy job handling everything through iOS 14. I think a lot of stuff that he's done in the past has been highly suspect. He handled things through iOS 14? I even have called for the fact that I think he should probably step down as CEO. But the point is, is I don't know if that's necessarily the case. This was a stroke of genius. Well, dude, he did it. How did he fly under the radar with this? Like, you and I have our fingers to the pulse enough. I didn't even know what was happening. Yeah. I had somebody tweet at me because I read a Twitter thread every day. So I had some random person that I don't know tweet at me saying, hey, you should be using threads. And I was like, what the hell is threads? And lo and behold, here's this whole new social application that all of a sudden has 100 million people. Unbelievable. How did they keep that secret? That's the question that you're asking? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And did Zuckerberg know he was going to do this before he challenged Elon to the cage match? That's the real question. That's the real question. For those of you who don't know about that, date to be determined is what I understand. We've been sort of following that. DBD, but Dana White's going to referee the two. Oh, my God. All proceeds go to charity. Sick. Sick. Who's your money on, Ralph? Let's take some bets here. I think I'm going to put my money on Zuck just because I think he's going to be wily and I think he's a little bit in better in better shape. I've seen Elon recently. Yeah, well, he, he does jujitsu too. Is what I read. Yeah, he's been doing jujitsu, right? He's been posting. So I think he's a little bit more of a badass than we give him credit for. Everyone remembers him as the guy who testified before Congress and you know all the memes that became Zuck. Point is, he's still running. If you've invested in the meta stock in the last six to 12 months, you're a very happy person right now, by the way. It's a very, very well put. Is it way off its all-time high? Absolutely. It's like financially speaking, meta is in a very good position right now. And Threads, Threads is a, is a, say what you will about, yeah, they copycat everybody. Yeah, they do. Okay. I get it. But they also see what's proven and what works and they just throw their weight around for their three to four billion monthly active users, which also includes WhatsApp. We always forget WhatsApp, which has never been monetized, by the way. And there are so many people on this platform still to the state, like almost half the planet is on a meta platform, which is crazy. Now, Google runs the internet. I get it. This isn't a Google meta thing, but the point is, is like as a social app, They've done a pretty amazing job. The advertising side of the equation is like your customer lives there. We know that. It's interruption marketing. You get Facebook and Google. And I know you had a great infographic we were going to show in our last record, which we're actually going to throw into the show notes. So like Facebook or Meta and Google are basically the internet right now. Maybe you want to show that graphic. 
the point is, is I think Zuck did something really smart here and okay, copycatted, but it's like, man, hundred million users. And this is yet another place to monetize advertising. If you're a marketing and advertising person, it's yet another channel, another hundred million people you can reach in a different medium. And as an advertiser and a marketer, that is very attractive. Well, and it's a different display. So this is going to be very heavy text-based, which there's a value proposition there from an advertising perspective because it becomes less obvious that what you're looking at is an ad, kind of like Google's listings. So I think the improvement or increase in Meta's inventory is going to be really, really profound. I'm going to share my screen real quick, Ralph. If you're watching the video version, you're going to be able to see it. If you're not, you can always go to the Perpetual Traffic YouTube channel. There's an infographic that I cite very often from Visual Capitalist, and it just shows you, it puts into perspective what the internet really is. These numbers are up to date as to the end of 2022, but Google's at 85 billion visitors YouTube's at 33 billion. The two combined are at almost 120. The next closest is Facebook at 18 with Instagram at six. So that's 23, 24. And that ostensibly is the internet. And everything else it just doesn't exist adjusted for margin of error. And then you got Twitter over there on the side, which now Meta is trying to take away those. <laughs> so I want to show you my favorite new infographic, okay? What we're looking at is Mark Zuckerberg with the Thanos glove. And instead of the Infinity Stones, he's got WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. And the image is so profound because it really drives home the fact that this one man, especially if Threads overtakes Twitter, owns social. Incredible. Full stop. All right. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. You can follow me over on LinkedIn. That's where I'm probably the most active. And also Qasim at Qasim Aslam on all the socials. And like I said, leave a rating, subscribe to the show. It's how we get this show out to more additional marketers like yourself and help spread the word and help them scale and grow their business. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Qasem Aslam, until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 